And that is he turns to God straight away and says, God, I need your help. I need you to save me. I need you to save me. And immediately, he just gets this, this feeling, this, this absolute peace in his soul that, yep, God will save me. And he's content and he's happy and like, yep, excellent. God's going to save me. I don't have anything to worry about. Not long later, of course, all of a sudden there's a honk on the horn and he looks out the front door and there's this guy in a four-wheel drive yelling, going, Oi, is there anyone in there? Yeah, mate, yeah, I'm here. Well, quick, I've got the last little route out of town. Uh, I can get you in and, and we can get out of here before you're in a whole lot of trouble. And the gentleman goes, No, no, good. I'm good, mate. I've prayed. I've prayed to God. I said, God save me. And he's all over it. So I'm fine. Thank you for your effort. The guy takes a second look at him and ends up driving off. Meanwhile, the floodwaters are still rising. And they're now starting to lap the front door. He hasn't got a front yard anymore. He's lost a street. But he, yep, I prayed God's going to save me. Next thing he knows, he's got two gentlemen in this old tinny, little five or ten horsepower outboard on the back, just putting up, up the stream that was once the road. Hey, is there anyone in there? And he looks out his front window and he's sort of, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Well, quick, we can run this. We run the boat out of town. It's great. This floodwater's rising. The gentleman goes, no, nah, it's all good. I appreciate your efforts, but I've prayed to God. I said, God, can you save me? And he said, yep. And so I'm good. Thank you. You can keep going. And again, they give him a second look and, all right, your call. Off the boat goes. Meanwhile, the floodwaters continue to rise and continue to rise, and all of a sudden, the, the gentleman finds himself having to climb up onto the roof of his house. And so, it's pretty desperate. You've got the, the, the water is, is lapping at the gutters of the roof. There's no town anymore. There's a few roofs around the place. And all of a sudden, he hears this deafening sound. Is there's a helicopter comes overhead. And this winch line is, is lower down and this guy's hanging out the side. And he's going, Oi, just wrap the wrench around your waist. Click it up and we'll get you out of here. And the gentleman looks up and gives him a wave. No, I'm good. I prayed to God he's going to save me. It's all good. But thank you for your efforts. And they move on. And the inevitable happens. The flood waters get so high, the house is submerged. And unfortunately, the, uh, the elderly gentleman perishes. And he ends up in heaven, and the first thing he does is seek out God. He says, God, I don't get it. I prayed. I said, God, please save me. And I was sure. I felt that peace in my heart, the peace in my spirit that that you're on top of it, that you're going to save me. And God turned around and said, I sent you a four-wheel drive, a boat, and a helicopter. What more do you want? Sometimes we have our own preconceived ideas on what God should do in our world. Isn't that the truth? We ask God for something, and we've already decided what that should look like. And when it doesn't eventuate the way that we thought it should, well, how do we respond to that? 
I know how I respond to that sometimes. Frustration, anger, God, what's going on? This isn't how I saw it happening. There are other times in our life where we we fight and we strive to control all of the circumstances that are around us. We ignore the fact that we actually serve a loving God who already knows what's there, who already knows what we're going through, and is there to guide and protect us through that journey. We forgo that. We turn around and go, but I want to control. And I can't control, and my world is frustrating because I'm not in control. So I want to talk this morning about letting go and letting God. Now this is a, a statement that runs around the place a lot. But I think that there's a lot more to this statement than we realize if we delve deeper into what we can truly take from it. Because as I've been reflecting on my own life, I've come to realize that there are some really valuable lessons that, that I need to take from this idea of letting go and letting God. It's got to be more than just a convenient statement. It can't be something I throw out and go, oh, this will fit my circumstance. Let go and let God. Yeah, that's great. Well, all right, but what does it actually mean? So if it's all right with you, I'm going to spend this morning actually speaking to myself so I can learn something and hopefully it'll have some meaning to you as well. So I hope you don't mind. But I guess during the course of this morning, as, as I'm going through this for myself, there might be something in your own world that sits there and goes, you know, I need to concentrate on this. I'm trying to control this too much. That might be something that speaks to you. And I guess take some time this morning to reflect through that. Is there something that I need to let go of and let God deal with on my behalf? There's some time at the end for, for you to come forward and, and to have some prayer about that and have some people walk that journey through with you. So have a think through that as we go through this. Lots of cliches, lots and lots of cliches. I don't know what it is, but the Christian church has seemed to have its own little niche market on cliches. Don't worry, God's in control. Lay it all down at the foot of the cross. God's got it covered. Just let it go, brother. Some of the kids will probably start singing Frozen at you, so we'll move on from there. It's all good. I could too, but no, I won't. But we've got so many of these statements that are so easy to throw out. But what do they mean? Some of them are even biblically based, would you believe it? Some of them. We talk at length about Jesus being Lord of our life. We sing songs and we listen to artists sing songs about Jesus. Take the wheel. God, I don't want to be a backseat driver. We talk about leaving our burdens at the foot of the cross. One could be forgiven for thinking that the Christian walk is actually a passive journey where you just leave your stuff, put your feet up, God's got it. I can just cruise on now, I'm good, God's got it. But it's not. It's not. If God's in control of my life and he's taking care of my stuff, that's great. What am I supposed to then do? Because God didn't design our life to be passive. So we've got two, two halves here. One half we sit there and we try and control. Or the other half we go, yep, I'm prepared to let it go and I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. And neither one works. 
Anybody who's ever tried to, I'm sure, knows that there's a difficulty with letting go. We're in a society that needs control. We crave it. We've got to have the information at our fingertips. We've got to know what's going on. We've got to make sure that what I'm doing and my plan is in place absolutely perfectly and it works to the way I want it to work. Who knows what that's about? Come on, where's the honest people in the room? Yep, absolutely. We fret, we worry, we become angry, we expect that we can solve problems straight away. And when we can't, our life is over. We lose it. I didn't fix this instantly. I see that problem with my own kids as well. It is a journey. Life is a journey. The problem is that with all this fret and worry that we bring upon ourselves, the first thing that we do is we take our eyes off God. My circumstance is here. My circumstance is in front of me. It's right in front of my face. Where is God in that? Where is God in that? The most famous story of that, of course, is the one with Peter walking on water. And just about everybody knows it. And here was a guy having great success. Can you imagine walking on the top of water? That would be amazing. But as soon as he looked at what he was doing and what was around him, and it says that there was a storm, so I don't imagine it was a nice, calm, flat lake on the day, but he was walking on water. And yet when he looked at the storm, he looked at the circumstance, took his eyes off Jesus, he lost it. He lost it. And Jesus identified the worry in him and in what he was causing. So the story is in Matthew 14, but in verse 31, Jesus calls him out on it. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And we do the same thing. We forego the faith in our Lord for the worry of our circumstance. The reality is that our worry is not going to change our circumstance. You can't change your world because you worry about it. And yet we continue to try. And like Peter, we take our eyes off God, we try and deal with it ourselves. And God calls us to count on Him. He calls us to trust Him. And there's a whole huge section in Matthew again, chapter 6, 25 to 34, of course, it's the famous worry passage. And it's up there for you at the moment where God repeatedly, Jesus repeatedly says to everyone listening, do not worry. Here's some examples I can give you. Don't worry about what you eat or drink because I'm going to feed the birds. Of course I'll look after you. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. I clothe the flowers in splendor. Not even Solomon was dressed that good. So, of course, I'm going to look after you. But letting him actually look after us, I think it's one of, one of the hardest things to do. And as I said, it's one of the most ignored things, I would think, in our modern-day society. Because everybody's got to self-help on something, don't they? You can help yourself. don't know if you did the... Uh, social studies on that, whether you'd really find any success. So we need to let go. And we need to let God. But if we're going to let go of our circumstance, then what is it that we actually need to do? 
Verse 33 of this passage has the answer. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all these other things that you're worrying about will be given to you as well. We're not called to worry. We're not called to try and be in control. We're called to seek first God's kingdom. Before anything else, seek first. So all the worrying, all the things we're worried about are given. So that's pretty easy, isn't it? It's easy to say, isn't it? Not always easy to do. So, straw poll. How many people in this room have had great success in trying to control their circumstance? Yeah, I thought so. What about when you add worry? Does it work for you? No. And yet we keep going. We keep going. As a, as a human race, we keep doing the same thing. It hurts to, to say it, but that's a definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting that the result will change. Circumstances arise. We try and solve the problem. We begin to get stressed. What about when you stress about the problem before you even know it's a problem? My goodness, I've got to meet with this person, and I know for sure they're going to go nuts at me about last time we were there. Oh, what am I going to do? And you turn up, and there isn't anything at all. But you've spent a week going through absolute internal turmoil about what? About what? So when we apply that, we lose perspective. We lose perspective about what's going on. And on all of that time, God sits there the entire time and goes, Hey, I got this. I got it covered. I'm still here. So is it worth the worry when God can cover it for us. wonder if it's worth asking ourselves the questions, do I worry because I don't believe God can look after me? Or do I worry because I don't think God will see me through it? But that's essentially where we're at when we take our eyes off God. So, let it go. That's the time for the song again, isn't it? No, I'm not going there. Letting go of control of our circumstance is applying faith and trust. That's the antidote. Faith that God, that same God who created the universe in all of its vast glories and riches and splendors and wonder in minute detail, actually created you to every specific detail simply because he didn't have one of you in his collection. And he's never going to have one of you in his collection again. So you are a rarity. If you have something that's rare, don't you look after that? Don't you treasure that? Don't you make sure that nothing is going to happen to damage that? 
You are special. So letting go. But as I mentioned before, letting go does not mean that you, t- you, do not, you sit back and do nothing. You are not a shelf ornament. You are rare, you are special, but you are not a shelf ornament. Life is not a spectator sport. God did not design it to be so. He calls us to live our lives for him. That's an action statement. No free rides, but your focus is the key. On God, not on the world. It's a mind change. It's a heart change. And it requires deliberate thought. You have to decide, this is what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to focus my attention on God. I can't sit back and think that automatic Christianity pilot is going to click in The waves are around me. I've given my life to God, so there'll be an automatic pilot just turns on and I'll be all good. You have to make that conscious thought. I am going to focus on my God who loves me and who will save me. I want to look through a couple of examples in the Bible of of guys who had to do this in different circumstances. The first one, of course, is Noah. Now, we all know about Noah. We find Noah in Genesis 6. Story starts at verse 9. We know his claim to fame was that he built a boat. And he built this boat in a time when righteousness in man was in short supply. And uh, I dare say boat building skills were fairly absent too. And I want to have a look at the plans, if we can throw up verse 15 and 16. This is the plans that God gave him for the boat. 300 cubits, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. There's a little bit more later on about a roof here and a couple of windows there. And then just to add to these instructions, God turns around and says, oh, by the way, you're going to become the first zookeeper in history. I'm going to throw a whole truckload of animals at you. Good luck with that. Now, I'm not sure what you read in this story, I'm pretty certain that Noah was not in the boat building business. Agreed? And I'm pretty certain he wasn't any sort of animal vet either. And yet this was a circumstance that was thrust upon him. Build the boat, look after the animals, or you're going underwater as well. Can you imagine some of the thoughts and worry and concern that that Noah's going to have? What is a boat? What is a boat? Right, you want me to build that? Excellent. But what aspect of this project could he actually control? The flood's coming. You could climb a tree, but the flood's coming. You need to do what this circumstance is calling you for. He had to choose to let go and just simply trust that God knew what was going on. I know what I need to do, I'm doing it. The Bible states that Noah was completely obedient. Now, in that particular verse, was there instructions given for a propulsion system on this ark? Steering mechanism? No rudder listed. So Noah couldn't control the circumstance once that flood hit, even if he tried. 
He had no control. But that doesn't mean he just sat back and watched the ride go by. He had a whole ark full of animals. That was his responsibility. It was within the circumstance that was there, that was his responsibility. He had work to do. And while it rained for 40 days, and we all know about that, the reality is he was on that boat for over a year. It was over a year before God said, right, you can come out now. So no control in his circumstance, but within that he had his responsibility to deal with. And he spent that time doing it to the best of his ability because he was serving God. And God looked after his circumstance. So if you're in the middle of something at the moment, you have no control over. That doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility within that circumstance to still serve God to the best of your ability. It might not be working the way you think it does, but where is your focus? Because God already knows what you're going through before you even got there. He knows you're there. He knows what you're about. Uncomfortable circumstances will always happen. Jesus said that to his disciples. John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You'll have the trouble, it's going to be there, but I will overcome it. But of course the other part of control I spoke about was that circumstance where we think it should have worked this way. I'm sure it should have gone that way, God. Why didn't you have it that way for me? Could have been that you planned it out. It could have been that you thought it through. You prayed about it. You even received the word from somebody that this is what's going to happen in your life. And I'm not seeing it, God. And what do we do? We get frustrated. We get angry. We get worried. And again, we turn our eyes away from God. One of the biggest lessons that we learned when we lived in Cambodia for three months last year is that the greatest majority of our frustrations in life are simply because it didn't go the way I thought it should. Think through your own frustrations at the moment. How many of them are tied up in simply because it didn't go the way I thought it should? And I would challenge you with the same question that I've been challenging myself with, who said it was supposed to go your way? There is a difference between a good plan and God's plan. One of them has an extra O. Think about some of the statements. I should have had that sooner. Surely the kids would get it by now, said every parent every time. I've explained it a dozen times. Why don't they get it? That could be a workplace too. It could be friends. I should have this project finished. What's taking so long? So the last person I want to have a look at is Joseph. And you find the story, Genesis, starts in chapter 37. But here is a guy who was fairly certain he knew what was coming in his world. 
He had the dreams. He even spoke it out. I'm sure his brothers loved him for it. You guys are all going to bow down and worship me. Isn't that wonderful? No, they didn't think so. They sold him into slavery. Where was that on Joseph's plan? It wasn't there. So here is, here is a young man of 17 who has a choice in his circumstance that he cannot control. It's not mirroring and lining up with the way I think it should go, God. And he can choose, how do I respond to this? And the Bible says that he got right into God. He honored God in what he did. He focused on God in the decisions that he made. He focused on God in the decisions that he didn't make. Can't control what's around me, but I can focus on my God. And the trials came, and his master's wife was having a go, and he said, that is not what my God would have me do. And he got thrown in jail. I honored God, and I'm in jail. And the Bible still says he focused his energies on God. He honored God, and God blessed him. Now, we know now in hindsight that he had a truckload of stuff to learn if before he was to become the second most powerful man in the world. That's a huge responsibility. That he was able to, because of his willingness to trust in God, actually save the known world at the time from famine. But if he'd chosen back at the beginning to take his eyes off God, to become frustrated with his circumstance, to stop serving God to the best of his ability, where would he be? Where would he be? So I'd encourage you, take a look at your own world. What is happening in your life that is wearing you down? Where are you questioning God on what he's doing in your life? Everybody's going to have it somewhere. What questions are you throwing up? God, do you even see me? God, do I actually matter? I tell you that you do. That you are a rarity in his collection. And he will look after you. But our responsibility is not to control our circumstance. It is to serve our God. Let him worry about the circumstance. Let him worry about it. It could be a job that you don't like. But what would God have you focus on in that job? Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not man, not human masters. Our focus is God. You decide how you respond. There are some pretty big circumstances all the way through the Bible. You can pick any character you like. They found their greatest success when their focus was on God. That's when they succeeded. Not because of who they are, 
when they focused on God? What response do you choose? I'm going to put a couple of passages up now. Some of these are known. Some of these are really well known. But think it through. Old Testament, Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. The fig tree doesn't bud. There's no grapes. Olives are failed. Fields are not producing food. There's no sheep. There's no cattle. Yet I will rejoice. And I will be joyful in God who is my Savior. That is choice. Sovereign Lord is my strength. That is choice. And regardless of what you have, and regardless of what you're going through, you can always choose. You always choose. Philippians 4, verse 4 to 8. We close with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Where on that list is worry, angst, frustration? And this is not to say that those things just need to be removed from your life. They'll be there. We're human. It's going to happen. And when they come, what do you choose? Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think on those things. Focus your world on your God. How will you choose to respond? Is there something in your world at this point in time that you need to let go of? in terms of I've tried to control this and it's not working. In terms of I can't control this, Lord, I don't know where to go. Perhaps you're here and you need to talk that through with somebody. Perhaps you need to pray that through with somebody. Take that opportunity. Chance to be there. There'll be time at the end. People will come and stand with you and pray that through with you. But if I can encourage you on one thing, encourage myself on this same one thing. Simply let it go. Focus on God. Let's pray. Lord God, we so often, so often think we can do it. And we take our eyes off you. And we try and do it under our own strength. But Lord God, this morning we know that in you we have our hope. That you have saved us. That you 
have our best intentions at heart. Lord God, this day, help each and every one of us to realize that we have a choice in every circumstance. We have a choice in every situation to turn to you, to choose to trust you. And may this be the focus of our world, may it be the focus of our time. The Lord, I will turn to you. I will turn to you in my joy. I will turn to you in my struggles. Because, Lord God, you are the way. Guide our hearts, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.